Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.19 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 28th of October, 2021. Dudes, this is episode 500 of Bitcoin and... You want to know just how shitty of a marketer I am? I've got an example here for you. Let's check this out. Uh, Frito2x, at Frito2x, says, People should listen to at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. He has one of the best Bitcoin news shows, if not the best. And I, you know, I, I go and I thank him. I say, thank you, my good man. Thank you. And then Chubbs McAllister comes in with this one. It's at Chubbs underscore MCC. I have been following you for years and have never listened to a single episode. I can only I can only retort literally I can only retort with this. I retweet Chubbs reply to me with this. I am literally this bad at marketing. I got a guy that's been following my Twitter account for years that hasn't listened to a single one of the 499 previous episodes of Bitcoin and look I was talking about it yesterday a little bit about why I just, you know, why, you know, this is an episode that for a lot of podcasters would be a big episode. They would have a plan. They would, I don't know, give away a fucking iPhone or something like that. I'm, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not broke, but I ain't stupid either. I'm just, you know, I, yeah, I get it. it. Takes money to make money and all that shit. You know, maybe I just want to go a different route. Maybe. It's probably not a smart route. Guys, I've lived my my life doing some pretty stupid things. However, those stupid things have led me to some really awesome times in my life, some really awesome people that I now know. It led me, I mean, if every single person I knew was like going, dude, Bitcoin, are you stupid? And this is 2015. And look where we are. Sometimes it's the stupid path that takes you in the right direction. And it's not stupid at all, is it? It just looks that way. Or you were dumb enough to allow people to tell you that you should look at that path as being stupid. That's why today for episode 500, I'm not giving shit away. I'm not going to ask you to do dick. I'm going to anti-market myself and just say, you know what? Stop listening to me right now. Because if you do, you won't have to hear about this one Thanks to Bitcoin donations, 46 children benefited with one pair of shoes, one shirt, and one pair of pants, a total of 1,711,518 Satoshis worth $1,070 American dollars were spent. The donor decided that the photos of the benefited children should not be 
uploaded. <clears throat> this is Saul Hodel. Uh, Saul M. I'm guessing from Venezuela, but it's at S-A-U-L-H-O-D-L. And he has the receipts for all this stuff. And so what the hell's going on? What, what, what is, he's got pictures of receipts is what I'm saying in, in the second tweet. What the hell's going on? Well, I, from what I gather, some people have been sending Satoshis down to El Salvador. Saul's been gathering them up and buying clothes for children. And now we have 46 kids because of Bitcoin donations that have shoes, pants, and a shirt. All right. So I retweeted that with probably nothing. You know, I, I do that a lot. It is probably nothing. And Saul uh, DMs me and says, well, what do you mean? What do you, I mean, like, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. He says, uh, hi, probably nothing. What do you mean by that? I have a doubt. So I just, I replied. I'm like, oh, dude, it's, it's sarcasm. People say Bitcoin doesn't help. Clearly it does. And clearly it does. 46 kids, new shoes, new pants, new shirt because of Bitcoiners sending Satoshis down. I don't know what else to say about this, so I'm just going to let you chew on it for a while. But again, make sure that you go and check out at Saul Hodel, S-A-U-L-H-O-D-L. That's S-A-U-L-H-O-D-L. <clears throat> if you want to help, ask him, DM him, reply to his tweet, say, hey, you know, I want to help too. If that's what you want to do, um, I just can't imagine uh, very, very many things that are much better than us being able to directly give shoes, shirts, and clothes to kids in El Salvador and other places. It doesn't have to just be El Salvador. Okay, so just saying, just saying. Now, for the idiots that just refuse to refuse to stop being idiots. Cream Finance has been exploited for $130 million in DeFi's third largest hack ever, Brady Dale. Oh, Brady Dale's writing this one for a Yahoo Finance. I wonder if it's the same Brady Dale. I don't know. Well, I guess, hey, Brady, if you're listening, is this you? Uh, give me a DM if this, is, if this is your stuff for Yahoo Finance. DeFi lending protocol Cream Finance has been exploited for $130 million, Cream said in a tweet. Quote, we are investigating an exploit on Cream V1 on Ethereum and we'll share updates as soon as available. Right, good for you, pal. The attack would be the third largest in DeFi, according to Rekt. That's R-E-K-T. It may be the latest example of hackers using flash loans, loans that are executed without the need for collateral as long as they're paid back in one blockchain block to exploit every last loophole they can find in the open source code across decentralized finance. Security firm PeckShield tweeted a flash loan alert, and then the breach was noted on Twitter by a researcher at The Block. It appears to have been a flash loan attack. <clears throat> well, that's how all these occur, by the way. Which has been the main form these breaches have taken over the last two years, but there has been no post-mortem of the exploit so far. It's because nobody gives a shit. They all, they all yearn to earn, but they all get wrecked in the end, bitches. Subsequently, Peckshield tweeted that the attacker had made a $117 million gain on the exploit. According to data from the Defiant Terminal, Cream V1 had $302 million in it before the breach. 
the attacker wrote a message in the transaction, G-A-T-U, Bave, Lucky, Iron Bank, Lucky, Cream, Not, Y-Dev, Incest, Bad, Don't Do. Literally, that's a quote, man. This appears to imply that Cream's Iron Bank is untouched. Iron Bank is a protocol-to-protocol lending platform and runs through Yearn Finance. According to the Cream app, there is hardly anything left inside the V1 vaults. The app shows a little under 1,000 USDT, roughly 8,000 USDC, 622 Curve, and 351 Cream. The Ethereum, Wi-Fi, Link, and other notable tokens all show zero balances. Quote, they aren't going to drain the cream pool when the token price is going to dump. Brandon's not home wrote in the cream discord server. The community is discussing shorting the cream token as a way of recovering some of the lost assets. The cream token was at $116 this morning trading New York time uh, Wednesday from $156 yesterday or a 25% decline. It had fallen to as low as $108 uh, earlier. According to DeFi Llama, Cream had uh, sorry, $1.72 billion worth of assets as of October the 26th. Cream has had at least three other breaches. In the most recent, $23 million was lost due to a retracency bug in late August. Cream's resources were leveraged in February to run a $23 million exploit on Alpha Hormora this morning, Bubble Beam wrote on Discord, yep, I got destroyed with this. Six figures gone. Uh, it's another flash loan attack on DeFi. Cream has had, this will be their third one. <clears throat> now, the initial reports that I saw said that like all $1 billion got drained out of it. I honestly don't even know how to rectify th- these news stories. Like they all have different numbers. So do your own research if you want. Personally, I I just stay away from DeFi, but it's out there. It's going to get worse. And you've got assholes like Mark Cuban out there who I guarantee you are going to put too many poor ass souls into DeFi. They're all going to get hammered. And the only person that's going to make money is Mark, probably because he hired somebody to do a flash loan attack. I, I literally wouldn't put it past him. You know, because I've just come to I've just come to realize that there are two kinds of human beings that are walking on this planet. There are good humans and that there are fucking evil humans. And these people that are doing these flash loan attacks, I don't know if they're good or evil, but I'll tell you who is evil is the people who continuously tell people that they have to get into DeFi. That's the only way to make money. You need to burn in hell. You need to burn in hell now. Is it that is it the attacker's fault? You know, honestly, I'm going to say no. It's not the attacker's fault. You have created a system where you can shove poor dumbass motherfuckers into a system to lose all their money and you don't give a shit. How do I know? Nobody has fixed the flash loan issue because there is no desire to fix the flash loan issue. Go ask yourself why you think that is. El Salvador back in the news. Now they own 1,120 Bitcoin as President Bukele buys 420 more. This dude is a meme lord, bro. This is out of Bitcoin magazine. Alex McShane writing, El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele confirmed via Twitter on Wednesday 
evening, by the way, that the Latin American nation has bought the Bitcoin price dip, exchanging dollars for Bitcoin at a time he believes it remains undervalued by the global market. The price of Bitcoin was around $58,800, down from breaking all-time highs to reach nearly 67K on 20th of October at the time of Bukele's tweet announcing the purchase of 420 more Bitcoin on September the 6th. The day before Bitcoin was officially declared a legal tender in El Salvador, the president announced that the country had bought its first 400 BTC in two separate purchases, saying he planned on buying a lot more with government funds. With the historic announcement, El Salvador became the first country in the world to publicly put Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Bitcoin was declared legal tender. Yes, we all know. We get it. We're not going to go into that. Another price dip purchase on 20th of September brought El Salvador's Bitcoin reserves from 550 to 700 BTC worth about 42, oh, sorry, 42,851,000 at the time of writing. Wednesday's purchase of 420 BTC brought the nation's total Bitcoin reserves to 1,120 BTC, increasing their stacks worth to 68 billion, no, I'm sorry, 68 million 561,696 at the time of writing. The world is watching this particular experiment and Bitcoiners are eager to see what country will be next to adopt a Bitcoin as nations are forced to compete or be left behind. The game theoretic prisoner's dilemma has begun in global politics and nation states that adopt Bitcoin first are at a greater advantage at this time. El Salvador is the only country publicly holding Bitcoin on reserve. <clears throat> and El Salvador's probably going to win. Not the whole world, and that's fine, but they are definitely going to win. They're gonna win for their people, and all that is going to change the face of Latin America. And as the face of Latin America changes, what you will find out is that that entire section of the world has been purposely depressed by governments around the world. Why? because they have enormous, enormous natural resources and Exxon and Texaco and all the rest of the oil companies and coal miners and gold miners and copper miners, they keep getting their shit nationalized by the communist regimes down there. I'm not a fan of communism, I'm not. Although I do find it rather kind of, kind of funny <laughs> that they keep nationalizing all these people who are basically exploiting Latin America, uh, nationalizing their shit. I mean, I wouldn't want my stuff nationalized either, but I would hope that if I went down there and wanted to open up a copper mine and I knew how to do it, that, that somehow or another, I, I would figure out a way to not do things like an asshole and piss everybody off where they would want to nationalize my shit that somehow or another I was helping. I don't know. I'm just, it's show 500, dude. I'm just, I'm taking serious liberties here. Um, <clears throat> El Salvador is going to win. They are going to change the face of Latin America. If you were not watching Latin America, you will be left behind. Taking an investment of your time into understanding Latin America now will pay dividends in the future. I promise. I promise it will. Now, to the other side of the world, crypto regulations instead of a ban in India by February 2022 Looks like they flip-flopped again. Let's find out from Demeter. I can't pronounce the last name. I'm sorry, Demeter. It's just, there's no way I can pronounce that one. The Indian government. Oh, by the way, this is Crypto Potato. 
The Indian government will reportedly implement a regulatory framework for operating with cryptocurrencies by February of next year. Instead of a complete ban, this time the authorities will debate whether to accept Bitcoin and the altcoins as an asset class. The world's second most populated nation is one of the fastest growing markets for cryptocurrencies. However, the Indian government causes confusion on how locals can operate with digital assets. Yes, indeed, they flip-flopped like eight times over since 2017 or 2016. Earlier in the year, the authorities planned to impose a total ban similar to the one in China and even criminalize the ownership and mining of cryptocurrencies. The government started softening its stance uh, the next few months, and the upcoming regulations might not be so damn harsh. According to a recent report, the legal framework on Bitcoin and, and the altcoins will see the light of day by February of 2022 to clarify the taxation of attack, uh, transactions and gains. Surprisingly, the authorities will even discuss the option of accepting cryptocurrencies as an asset class. A spokesperson at the finance ministry, <clears throat> ooh, the ministry of finance, pray to money, bitches, explained that enforcing certain laws on the industry is vital because the popularity of the digital assets, oh my God, sorry, it, it threw, the crypto potato threw up an advertisement right in the middle of that sentence and I had to get rid of it. Anyway, the popularity of the digital assets in India attracts bad actors who could employ them in dubious activities. New rules could enable the authorities to stay on top of such operations. Yeah, good luck. If India decides to treat crypto as an asset class, the move could boost the country's economy. At least that is what the Indian billionaire Nadan Yahani said a few months ago. The entrepreneur agreed with many critics that digital assets are not suitable to be used as payment methods as their fiat currency is quite volatile, or sorry, their fiat currency value is quite volatile, and some of them consume too much energy. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> anyway, after the crying, he says, quote, just like you have some of your assets in gold or real estate, you can have some of your assets in crypto. I think there's a role for crypto as a store of value, but certainly not in the transactional sense. Oh, you idiot. The interest in cryptocurrencies has indeed skyrocketed in India lately as locals increased their digital asset investments from 200 million to 40 billion. Let me, let me yeah, let me, let me say that again. Ah. The interest in cryptocurrencies in India has skyrocketed lately as locals increased their digital asset investments from 200 million with an M last year to 40 billion with a B this year. A one year change from 200 million to 40 billion. Dude, do the math. We can do some at Wharton School of Business because they now accept crypto payments as a blockchain program. Tuition fees are allowed. Aaron Karhaman for Cointelegraph tells us more. Yeah, I know the, the word crypto's in here. Just come on, suck it up, bitches. Crypto adoption scores another win with the Ivy League University of Pennsylvania, but there's a catch. The Wharton School, one of the premier business schools in the United States, will accept Bitcoin and other forms of shitcoin, well, actually, and forms of shitcoin for tuition fees, Bloomberg reported. However, the adoption is limited to its new online blockchain and digital asset program scheduled to start in January. Let's pause. <laughs> the last people that I need teaching anything at all about Bitcoin and the underlying technology is a business school. 
Where do you want to, where, where do you truly want to understand that? It would be a dual degree in economics that is Austrian based and not Keynesian based and computer science. And basically in that computer science, you're going to want to learn how to code a little bit at least so that you can understand. And then a whole bunch of networking stuff that would probably be good. And the study of decentralized networks would probably be good. And I don't know, maybe take a few math classes, one in, I don't know, maybe topology of networks. No, having all this shit taught by the Wharton School of Business <clears throat> is probably your ticket to not understanding how Bitcoin actually works. Titled, quote, Economics of Blockchain and Digital Assets, the six-week program costs $3,800 and the university expects to attract thousands of students each year. The Wharton School will use Coinbase Commerce, the e-commerce platform of the United States-based crypto exchange, to accept crypto payments. Wharton is currently offering an introductory class to crypto and blockchain via the online education platform Coursera, which is part of a more extensive course about financial technologies or rather fintech. The business school made news earlier this year when it received a generous $5 million gift in Bitcoin. An anonymous benefactor gifted $5 million, roughly translated to 118 BTC in May. The Wharton School reportedly exchanged the donation to Fiat immediately, which would be worth more than $7 million at the time of writing. Again, let's pause. Ah, the School of Business at Wharton. One of the most storied and Ivy League. And, and I mean, this is where you wear the octagonal Tam hat and the glorious robes and shit, right? <clears throat> and they can't do math. You lost $2 million, you dumb sons of bitches. As Cointelegraph reported, the World Economic Forum recently partnered with the Blockchain and Digital Asset Project at the Wharton School, led by Professor Kevin Werbach. The project aims to address the business and regulatory aspects of distributed ledger technology. Yes, right, sure, good for you, Wharton. Why do I even mention it? Because they're taking BTC. Yes, they're taking it through Coinbase. I get it. But dude, it's not going to stop. And here's what, here's what happens. As Bitcoin permeates through the world, <clears throat> it's, going to make, it's going to act like a virus. Some, this is an interesting aside for biology. Um, let's just go ahead and do it. <clears throat> Most of the DNA in your body that has been regarded for years as junk DNA is most likely left over from viral infections of our ancestors. And when I mean our ancestors, I'm talking beyond our ancestors of human beings. Like ever since <clears throat> a organism, whether it's one-celled or multi-celled, was able to get infected and have DNA injected into it by a retrovirus, that's what they're called, if they inject RNA, which then gets turned into DNA into in the cell and then somehow gets into your DNA, in your chromosomes, then it becomes fucking permanent. And if that shit happens in your gonads, then it's passed on to the next generation. We have for years thought that 90% of all the DNA in our cells is quote unquote junk DNA because it doesn't do anything or we don't know what it does. <clears throat> most likely we now know that that most of that DNA has actually come from our evolutionary upbringing alongside of viruses in nature. Now, during that time, 
countless individuals of all the populations leading up to the human species died from those viral infections. Good time to talk about it because we got the COVID shit going on, right? Same thing. It's not a retrovirus per se, but it is yet another virus in the environment. Sometimes those viruses will kill people. Sometimes they will, some, if it's a retrovirus in the case of, of physical DNA, it will impart some information that you will carry on to the next generation. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's a virus. And it's going to do the exact same fucking thing that viruses always do. It's going to kill a lot of people and it's going to empower the people that it doesn't kill. Do not be one of Bitcoin's kills. Why? The MFF, the IMF hates Bitcoin because it loves total control. Uh, according to Schwan, is it Sh no Sean Amick from Bitcoin Magazine, the International Monetary Fund, along with a string of other financial institutions, really does not like Bitcoin. So let's do the usual thinking through what the IMF is, why it even matters. So what is it? The IMF and the World Bank are. Like the parallel universe versions of Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, they have no idea what they're doing, and yet the decisions they make determine how the show ends. The only difference is that no one wants to watch this version of the show because Shaggy and Scoob keep debasing your currency into oblivion. Sticking with the IMF alone for this article, its mandate is as follows, quote, the IMF promotes monetary cooperation and provides policy advice and capacity development support to preserve global macroeconomic and financial stability and help countries build and maintain strong economies. End quote. <clears throat> For oversimplification, let's just imagine the IMF is dictating a short and medium-term global monetary policy. It responds to what, it, to what is in front of it at any given time and influences global markets. This, obviously, requires a large amount of control or centralization, if you will. So who makes up the IMF? Quote, IMF loans are funded mainly by the pool of quota contributions that its members provide, end quote. <clears throat> it's not a secret that a bunch of rich people influence the entire global or the entire globe's monetary policies. This is public information, and it's easy to find. Obviously, these guys have good reason to maintain the status quo. So as I've said, the IMF doesn't like Bitcoin, but why? For those unfamiliar, the fourth turning is a concept that states there is a cyclical progression in society, typically with 20 years or so in each turn, the last of which results in a crisis that topples the old systems of power and ushers in a new era. Bitcoin is often thought to be the crisis moment of the fourth turning by toppling the financial institutions of old. Following that track, over the past two years, the world has been rocked by a pandemic that led to the debasement of many global currencies, the U.S. dollar being a very clear one, as outlined in this article by Jerry Goddard. The IMF knows all of this and has made it clear that it means to maintain control. And on July 29th, an article was posted to the IMF blog, including the following quote, quote, there is a window of opportunity to maintain control over monetary and financial conditions and to enhance market integration, financial inclusion, economic efficiency, productivity, and financial integrity, end quote. <clears throat> it's honestly kind of smug how indiscreet the statement is. Clearly, through central banks in nation states, the World Bank and other institutions, the goal of the IMF is to maintain control. 
in the classic Bitcoiner phraseology, Bitcoin fixes this. But seriously, this is what Bitcoin was made for. So how does Bitcoin fix this? I'll spare everyone the details of rehashing what Bitcoin is, and let's just stick to the basics. Number fucking one, Bitcoin is decentralized. There's no group of developers, miners, or businesses that can band together to manipulate the protocol. If consensus is not met, the hell with it. It isn't happening. Understandably, the IMF, which settles short and medium-term economic issues between countries by issuing out loans based on the currencies that it constantly has a hand in debasing, probably doesn't want the money supply controlled by an unbeatable algorithm that makes you play the game the way Bitcoin wants to play. Frickin' two. Bitcoin has a programmatic monetary policy. We know how many Bitcoin exists now. We know how many will exist in total, and we know when the new Bitcoin will be issued. We know all of this, and it's publicly available to anyone willing to look. Not being able to control the supply or its issuance is a crucial concern for any central authority attempting to maintain power in the legacy system. They cannot control the protocol or the system of Bitcoin, and they cannot control the currency of Bitcoin either. These would be transparent reasons for not wanting it to succeed. The IMF wants to initiate Bitcoin panic, quote, Digital money must be designed, regulated, and provided so that governments maintain control over monetary policy to stabilize prices and over capital flows to stabilize exchange rates. In quote, says the IMF blog. Read the first part again. Quote, digital money must be designed, in quote, for government control. The IMF will claim this is for consumer protection, and we hear about the impending regulations on the darkening horizon constantly. And when discussing digital assets, the IMF made sure to speak directly on Bitcoin later in the post, quote, the least stable of the lot, which hardly qualifies as money, are crypto assets such as Bitcoin that are unbacked and subject to the whims of market forces, In quote, IMF blog, just, they're just, gotta give it to them again. Cry on, man. It's not just about control. It, it isn't. It's about IMS funding too. What happens when a governing body needs to raise capital quickly? That's right, it issues garbage bonds. Well, what happens if other products result in larger yields in a shorter time frame, such as what is happening in the world of stablecoins and DeFi? <coughs> whatever. Quote, countries are concerned with several scenarios. Substantial CBDC or stablecoin demand might absorb a large share of government bonds. This could affect the yield curve. And in the case of stablecoins, whose reserves cannot be lent out, the availability of collateral. And stablecoins fully backed by central bank reserves could immobilize and segregate central bank liquidity, which would otherwise be freely lent between banks to satisfy daily payment shocks, says the IMF in The Rise of Digital Money. For the United States, this is what is referred to as the federal funds rate. This is the rate at which banks borrow money from each other or the central bank overnight to meet a reserve requirement or a percentage of the deposits you hold every night. As you can imagine, the loss of bonds and the loss of other 
Revenue stream via the federal fund rate isn't something any centralized player wants, but that's not all, folks. In December of 2020, the IMF put up a post on its blog that discussed using your browser history to affect your credit score. Quote, as big techs gather data, ma manage customer relations through ubiquitous digital platforms as opposed to networks of physical branches and becomes essential to better design and customize financial services, they will keep an increasing share of the producer surplus, the IMF in what is really new in fintech. The IMF is ecstatic to talk to all of us about the opportunity to add every single thing we do on the internet to be calculated into our ability to get a credit card. It doesn't want to simply access or have access to your finances and control that information on a global market anymore. No, that just got too boring. And now it wants to control who you are and control every digital action you make. Can you guess if Bitcoin fixes this? That's the end of the article. The answer to that question, yes, it does. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids are down. Shiny metal rocks are up. West Texas Intermediate clocking out at 0.65% to the downside, $82.12 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down almost a full point, $83.85 a barrel. Natural gas basically getting kicked in the nuts, man. 6.5% uh, to the downside, and yet it still costs you $5.79 per thousand cubic feet. Meanwhile, gasoline is down a full point, $2.42. So you guys on the West Coast can take a sigh of relief. Maybe you will not hit $8 gasoline in the near future. Now, Peter Schiff it must be absolutely ecstatic because for two days in a row, gold is above $1,800. At 1805 in fact, that's after a third of a point gain to the upside. Silver is up 0.12%. Platinum is up uh, three quarters of a point. Copper is up over, well over one point. And palladium is up 0.87 of a percent. Agricultural futures, or not futures, ag, the ag stuff is mixed today. The biggest winner of the day is going to be cotton at up 1.31%. And the biggest loser is going to be sugar, which is down one full point. Dow is up 0.47 of a percent. S&P futures up 0.83%. NASDAQ futures up almost a full percent. And the S&P mini is up 1.25%. Let's pause. You may ask yourself, why do I give you the percent of these things and not the price? For a long time in like sitting in the car, I will, you know, I would get like radio things when they come on and they tell me that the Dow future or, or the Dow industrial is at 35,555 after coming, after going up. And I'm like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't help me. If you just tell me that it came from like, I don't know, like the S&P came from like 4,500 and has gained 82 points to come in at 4,582, I'm not gonna do the mental math. I'm just not gonna calculate the percentage. So that's the, the reason I read the percentages is to give you a better idea of what came before 
and what is happening now. That's the beauty of a percentage change rather than just telling you prices. So in case you were wondering, that's why fuck it, real money, 61,405 bucks, bitches. 299,000 transactions in the last 24 hours is about 12,500 transactions every single hour with 716,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That is right at 30,000 Bitcoin sent in the network every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.39 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.03 BTC or 778 bucks and block times are low again. I guess all that hash that we lost off the network yesterday came back. We'll find out. Eight minutes and 40 seconds on block generation times. 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 12 and one quarter BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And we have indeed had a gain in hash rate of 8.29%. And we are just under 160 exa hashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin. A 30 and one half United States pennies. Of note, it has become clear to me and to all of us today that the SHIB coin or Shibu Inu coin has now flippened Doge. And no, I'm not going to replace my shitcoin indicator with Shibu Inu. Doge, I used to really like. Before Elon got involved, I liked Doge only because it was cute. It, it meant nothing to me. It really didn't. I, it's not like I was thinking it was going to be the future of finance. I wasn't telling people to go get into Doge. I just thought, it, you know, it, it, for a long time, Doge was just a fun thing to think about. And now it's not. And now it's become flippant by Shibu Inu, but whatever. We'll just go ahead and finish up with Clark Moody dashboard. 3,978 transactions are waiting on three blocks to clear. We have a market cap of $1.15 trillion, which is 9.78% of gold's market cap. And we can get 33.9 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,856,904.00 in circulation. 3,183.9 of those are locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $194.9 million, being run over 17,258 nodes and 78,220 payment channels are active that we know about. 74.4% of all of that is being run over the Tor Network. So that means that 2,368.17 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 10,731 nodes that we know about, and that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Bitcoin Magazine's Archie Chaudhuri is writing this one. Why the Bitcoin network is the original DAO. That's actually a really good way to put it. Decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs have long captured the public imagination as one of the primary use cases of blockchain technology. Defined as organizations and groups that do not operate in a centralized or hierarchical manner, DAOs represent another shift toward the decentralized world that the Bitcoin community has united over since inception. Perhaps the best known example of a DAO was the DAO, an organization which was built on the Ethereum blockchain and later became defunct following a vulnerability which resulted in the organization losing 
one-third of its funds. Despite the incident, DAOs have regained popularity, with many new organizations such as the MakerDAO adopting the model in recent years. The definition of a DAO is constantly evolving, and projects often allege that they are a DAO to capture on its hype, despite being fully centralized in operation. In this article, we will make the argument that the Bitcoin network was the first decentralized autonomous organization in existence, and remains so to this day. At its core, a DAO is a collection of individuals that make decisions based on majority consensus and are governed by rules encoded in a computer program. DAOs are run solely by computer programs with minimal to no human control or interference. DAOs are gaining popularity due to their autonomous nature. The ability for organizations and groups to make decisions and improve without deferring to some centralized authority is invaluable in a borderless society. DAOs are very much the project or product of the same cultural movement that resulted in the formation of a peer-to-peer currency in the first place. In fact, Bitcoin's advent in 2008 can very aptly be described as the creation of the first DAO. Bitcoin, since its inception, has possessed the essential characteristics of a DAO, decentralization and autonomy. To a certain extent, the creation of the Bitcoin network was the first successful implementation of a DAO, thus setting a framework for future projects to follow. We now move to a discussion of examples that further prove that Bitcoin and its association or associated blockchain network can be defined as a DAO. Bitcoin's original purpose was to facilitate a global payment network that ran based on a peer-to-peer network, thus eliminating centralization or the need for a trusted third party. Satoshi Nakamoto specifically introduced the concept of a peer-to-peer network to solve the double spending problem, which refers to a transaction party using the same coin in two or more separate transactions. While the peer-to-peer network was originally designed to solve the double spending problem for digital currencies without having to rely on an intermediary, it eventually expanded its use cases to become the defining aspect of the blockchain. Perhaps the most intriguing use case of the peer-to-peer network have been Bitcoin improvement proposals. BIPs, B-I-Ps, are software improvement proposals that have the potential to change the Bitcoin blockchain in a significant way. An example of a BIP is Segregated Witness, which was proposed by Peter Woola back in 2015. BIPs certainly have the potential to cause the Bitcoin blockchain to fork, and they have multiple times in the past. However, perhaps the most interesting aspect of BIPs is the way in which they are implemented. While a traditional incorporation model would have focused on approval from the development or managerial team, Bitcoin leaves it to the community. More specifically, the community engages in open discussion with the proposers and gives feedback before moving forward on any particular proposal. The most intriguing aspect is what happens after a particular proposal has been made public. The decision on what constitutes the current version of Bitcoin is actually dependent upon the miners who can indicate what particular version of Bitcoin they are running in their transaction blocks. The image below represents how a BIP is reviewed and implemented, and it's basically a flowchart. We won't get into it. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, that important to the rest of the article. This approach signifies one of the first examples of recording votes 
and decisions for a non-transaction related issue on a blockchain, thus setting a precedent for software improvements and changes through an open source and decentralized protocol. BIPs are just one of many examples of the extent to which Bitcoin's peer-to-peer -peer network is decentralized. The fact that anyone who is a miner on the Bitcoin network can actively play a role in the protocol's development is one of the few reasons as to why other DAOs should aspire to follow Bitcoin's model. Pause, guys, it ain't just the miners. Come on, dudes. I thought we had gotten, you know, finished with this. It's node operators, miners, all the rest of the users. It's everybody. It's it's everybody. There's not just one group. That's the point. I, I wish this person would say that, but I'm since they're not, I'm going to. It's everybody. While most can agree on Bitcoin's networks, uh, Bitcoin networks innate decentralization, not everyone agrees that it's completely autonomous. To that extent, many have preferred to refer to the Bitcoin network as a do or decentralized organization instead. One of the largest criticisms that the Bitcoin network has faced is that the organization does not actively seek out new members or self-update based on computer logic. This has supported the notion that Bitcoin is semi-autonomous instead of being fully autonomous. However, the criticism is a result of the variable definitions of what autonomous, or rather, definitions of autonomous when it comes to the blockchain community rather than a shortcoming of the Bitcoin network itself. The reality is that the network actively determines membership hierarchy and stake based on data encoded in a computer program validates transactions and communication among participants automatically and updates its history in an automatic fashion. While smart contract technology has evolved what it means for a blockchain technology to be autonomous, the innovation present in the Bitcoin network is that, or rather, is what inspired these new innovations. Just as Isaac Newton once proclaimed that he stood on the shoulders of giants, New blockchain technologies and DAOs stand on the shoulders of Bitcoin's success. Again, I leave you uh, from this, uh, uh, this article with the notion that it's not just the miners. It's not. Okay, that we, I won't get into the 2017 story, but go, there's a book out there called The Blockchain Wars, I believe, or Block Size War. Uh, I don't know who wrote it. I haven't read it yet. I live right through it. So it's not that I don't need to read it. I actually do. But I was right in the thick of things in 2017 and was just astounded at just how poorly people got this wrong or, or to the extent at which they got this wrong. It is not just the miners, right? If, if, like if I'm running a node that has consensus rules that are different than what a bunch of miners that say that they are the, the Bitcoin network, I'm not, I'm, I'm not validating their transactions. I'm not. Because my consensus rules are different than their consensus rules. And this is how you got Bitcoin Cash. And this is how Bitcoin Cash gave birth to that idiot fraud rights chain BSV or whatever it is. It's not just the miners, people. It's, it's not. Please, please understand that. Uh, how Bitcoin will help Twitter improve commerce on its platform. CFO talks about it. Oh, uh, let's see. Thebitcoinist.com. Is that the name of this? Yeah, Bitcoinist.com. Uh, Reynaldo Marquez is writing it. In an interview with CNBC Squawk Box, the CFO of Twitter, Ned Segal, talked about the implementation of Bitcoin in the platform. In his view, 
The cryptocurrency will be a tool to facilitate commerce on the social network. Twitter and its founder and CEO, Jack Dorsey, have spearheaded the integration of Bitcoin via several initiatives. The social network recently launched a tip feature that allows users to send money in BTC on the second layer payment solution Lightning Network. In addition, Siegel claimed Bitcoin will be key in breaking down the barriers between content creators and their audiences. In that way, there will be greater access to those seeking unique content and the creators will be supported in a BTC censorship resistant network. However, Twitter's CFO claimed that the company is not ready to add Bitcoin to its balance sheet. Despite Dorsey's stand on the cryptocurrency and a long consideration from the company's board, Segal believes it doesn't make sense today. The executive added the following, quote, We'll have to change our investment policy and change our point of view more broadly to add Bitcoin on our balance sheet. It doesn't make sense today, given the type of securities we buy, the risk profile, the volatility, but we'll keep watching and thinking about it over time. Well, don't think too long, bitches. In the long term, Twitter's CFO sees a lot of potentials to improve the commerce on the platform and to diversify its presence across multiple sectors. Non-fungible tokens have become a central component to achieve that objective. Siegel said, you'll see more commerce opportunities over time, but commerce doesn't have to mean buying a physical good. Commerce can mean helping somebody transact where they are subscribing to a new service. It could mean buying an NFT. It doesn't have to be physical in nature, end quote. The CEO of Twitter recently posted a prediction that attracted great attention in reference to the monetary policy adopted by the U.S. Federal Reserve and its chairman, Jerome Powell. Metrics seem to suggest global inflation is on the rise with the potential to become persistent. And Dorsey said, quote, hyperinflation is going to change everything. It's happening. It will happen in the U.S. soon. And so the world, end quote or in tweet, Dorsey believes that Bitcoin is the solution for these, this issue and many more. However, Siegel was less blunt in his interview. He claimed it's too early to make a call about that. The executive did acknowledge inflation has been rising in parts of their business. Supply chain and personnel have been the most impacted. Time will tell if Twitter adopts the Bitcoin standard due to inflation or adoption. The company's CEO seems to incline by the former at the time of writing Bitcoin trade. Okay, that's just given the price of Bitcoin. Okay, guys, how much control do you think Jack Dorsey has over Twitter? If you say, well, it's his company, you're already wrong. If you say, well, he started the company, therefore, okay, you're already wrong. Here... All the signals that I've seen from Jack Dorsey suggest the following. He has not the ability to make like mandates that he can't just tell the company, hey, you're not going to ban Trump. He can't do that. And that's why they ban Trump. I don't think, I don't know if Dorsey likes Trump or not. I don't give a shit. It's just an example. The rest of the stuff. Why do you think, why do you think Dorsey went on Joe Rogan and had his fucking chief communications officer sitting next to him. I can't remember if it was his comm officer or if it was a security officer with some chick who ended up answering most of the questions in my view. All right. That was well over a year ago and it was right after Trump got banned. I think it was like right around the time that Trump got banned. I don't know if it was before or after, but Dorsey seemed to me like he was forced to take her with him so that he wouldn't say anything wrong about the company because why? It's not his company. He may have started it. He may have co-founded it. It's not his company. It's the shareholders' companies. And what the board of directors says goes, okay? 
He doesn't get a say in that shit anymore. So this, I, you know, and there's other, there's other pieces of language that are coming out from Dorsey that make me think that he's really trying to break away from what Twitter is. He's trying to affect it where he can, but he wants something different. And he's talked about Blue Sky. I don't know if the guy's above board. I've never met him, never had a beer with him. The best time that you can get to know, or the best way you can get to know somebody, honestly, is to either go through hell with them for a while or get good and drunk with them for a while. And then you'll know who that person really is about. I don't know, Jack. I don't, I mean, I don't know Jack about Jack, okay? But I do know this. If you think for an instant that he can call the shots at Twitter, you're wrong. I'm sorry. It, it, I know it doesn't make sense, but it's the way it is. And let's see, what do we have here? What's, what's this next one? Uh, that one may be a little too long. We'll just skip that one and go right into Volt Equities Bitcoin Revolution ETF goes live on the NYSE today. The New York Stock, oh, I guess I should give a, 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 some credit here. Helen Parts, writing for Cointelegraph. The New York Stock Exchange continues listing Bitcoin BTC-linked exchange-traded funds with Volt Equity becoming the latest company to debut such a product on the exchange. Uh, BTCR will open at $21, giving a nod to Bitcoin's cap supply of 21 million BTC. According to the company, the ETF is implementing a management approach informed by Plan B's Bitcoin stock-to-flow model, a major quantitative model intending to predict BTC's price. Quote, we consult the famous stock-to-flow model as one of the inputs to understand how Bitcoin's mining supply shock due to its scheduled halvings could affect Bitcoin's price and when. Based on what we're seeing, we could adjust our mining-related exposure accordingly, Volt Equity said. Approved by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in early October, Volt Equity's product is not a pure Bitcoin ETF as it's based on companies with significant exposure to Bitcoin. The ETF tracks so-called Bitcoin industry revolution companies, including Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy, Tesla, Twitter, Square, Coinbase Crypto Exchange, as well as Bitcoin mining companies such as Canaan, BitFarms, and Riot Blockchain. Vault Equity will regularly review the fund's holdings and allocations when appropriate, based on research, data, and models like the S2F. Quote, Bitcoin is not just a coin. It's a revolution that encompasses miners, companies using it on their balance sheet, and everyday hodlers who want to hold the first digital store of value that can't be inflated away by a government, Park said. The latest ETF launch comes soon after NYSE ARCA listed a Bitcoin futures-linked ETF by investment company ProShares on October the 19th. As previously reported, ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF became the first Bitcoin futures-linked ETF to launch in the United States. In mid-October, major cryptocurrency fund Bitwise Asset Management also applied with the SEC to list a pure Bitcoin ETF on NYSE ARCA. The SEC has not yet approved an ETF that would track Bitcoin's price directly. Major asset management firm AXS Investment filed for two Bitcoin futures ETFs on Wednesday. According to senior Bloomberg ETF analyst Eric Bachlandis, major crypto investment firm Grayscale Investments expects the SEC to have approved its spot Bitcoin ETF by July 2022. Well, we'll have to see about that one there, Barry. Now, 
Oh, excuse me. The SEC will not approve leveraged Bitcoin ETF as of this report. Jamie Crawley reports on it uh, from Coindesk. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission will not approve the listing of leveraged Bitcoin exchange traded funds. The SEC instructed at least one prospective ETF provider not to proceed with its plans for a leveraged fund. The Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday, citing a person familiar with the matter. The U.S. market regulator wishes to limit Bitcoin-related investment vehicles to those that provide unleveraged exposure. In other words, not compromised or borrow funds. Sorry, I've read that wrong. In other words, not comprised of borrowed funds. The report emerges two days after Valkyrie Investments filed to offer a 1.25x leveraged Bitcoin futures ETF. After dozens of applications from different providers, the SEC finally approved the listing of a Bitcoin futures ETF earlier this month. ProShares funds started trading under the ticker symbol BITO on NYSE on October the 19th and has contributed to Bitcoin's price surge by yada, yada, yada. This, the point is that the SEC is not going to allow leverage in an ETF, at least not yet. I'm going to go ahead and say it. That's good. Okay, that's just, that's just, that, that is actually fucking sensible. Leverage will get you wrecked. If you've got one Bitcoin, and you want to invest it on something like when BitMEX was doing a lot of uh, exchange or leveraged trades, you could actually leverage that shit well over the amount of Bitcoin that you actually had. And if you got hosed, not only did they get that Bitcoin, you're on the hook for a lot more. So don't, don't, don't ever use leverage. And in my opinion, don't, don't, don't ever trade Bitcoin. It's not worth your damn time, bro. Investment firm aims to launch a Bitcoin bear ETF that shorts BTC futures. I, I don't even know what to say about it, but may, maybe Matthew DeSalvo does from Decrypt. An exchange-traded fund that shorts the price of Bitcoin futures might soon be available on Wall Street. Uh, Dire Exion yeah. uh, shares ETF Trust. An ETF issuer yesterday applied to the SEC for an ETF that would bet on the price of the biggest cryptocurrency going down. Aptly named the Bear ETF. An ETF is a popular investment tool traded on a stock exchange that lists people buy shares that represent a particular asset, sector, commodity, or security. Uh, now, a number of investment companies are hoping to follow suit with all the ETFs previously released and are applying to the SEC for similar cryptocurrency-related ETF uh, products. The SEC is expected to approve a number of future ETFs in the coming weeks, though not a spot-based product that directly tracks the price of Bitcoin itself. But the Direxion share or Direxon shares BTF bear ETF would be unique because investors would be rewarded if the price of Bitcoin dips. Quote, it was only a matter of time, in our opinion, before one of these was filed. Bloomberg ETF research analyst James Safart told Decrypt, quote, it will be reset every single day and perform the exact opposite of Bitcoin over time, he added. So essentially, if Bitcoin goes up 5% in one trading day, this ETF will return minus 5% and vice versa. 
the SEC application said that the fund will generally maintain its short exposure to Bitcoin futures during periods in which the value of Bitcoin is flat or declining as well as during periods in which the Bitcoin or the value of Bitcoin is rising. It added that the fund would not directly invest or hold Bitcoin. Of course not. Uh, a Bitcoin-related ETF that shorts the price of Bitcoin already exists in Canada, where there are several crypto ETFs. The Beta Pro Inverse Bitcoin ETF started trading in April on the Toronto Stock Exchange. The product was launched for those who think Bitcoin is overdue for a correction. And in Europe, the Europe 21 shares short Bitcoin exchange-traded product, a similar investment tool launched last year. You know, be interesting, really interesting to find out is the performance on those as of late. That's going to do it for the afternoon roundup. It's Thursday. It's joke day. Every day's joke day. Dad says jokes. Sad news. My obese parrot died today. Mind you, it's a huge weight off my shoulders. All right. Over three years and 500 episodes, and we are here. Not bad. Not bad at all, bro. Not bad at all. 500 episodes. I think I can be proud of that. I really do. Um, if you do want to help, I'll go ahead and do some some of my shitty marketing right here. If you do want to help, tell your friends about it. I don't know. Throw it out there. Just retweet my stuff. You know, retweet you know, my show announcements. You know, podcasting 2.0 is a great way to stream me sats. You can tip me over uh, Lightning or with uh, tip me over Twitter with Lightning. I'm really digging the lightning stuff. Um, I don't know, like a five-star review on Apple iTunes works too, uh, but basically it's the word of mouth that that I think really helps the most. Um, you will please forgive me for continuing to be a shitty marketer. I really, really, I don't want to do the things that it takes that I see. Like I've seen some really successful Twitter accounts and a lot of the ones that I respect are have done it organically. They haven't given away an i you know an iPad. They haven't I don't know taken a new to themselves. I you know all the weird shit that I've seen that that people can be very very successful at with their marketing. They can. It's it's out there. It happens. But the guys that I respect the most are the guys that basically just did their thing and they took their time. I that's that's the way that I want this to work. You can help me. But honestly, in the end, don't expect a contest from me. Don't expect a giveaway. Don't expect, I don't know, don't expect a lot of stuff in, in uh, uh, modern marketing uh, circles from me because it's just, it's not going to happen. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.